This is Cincy Shirts, Cincy 360, about Cincinnati, from Cincinnati. Sponsored in part by Cincy Shirts. Cincy Shirts, all Cincy, all day. This is ESPN 1530, Cincinnati's sports station. Hi, hello, and welcome in hour number two and the final hour of Cincy 360 today. My name is Austin Elmore. And a pleasure to be joined now by a man who joins us at this time every single Friday, a man who was merely yards away from Joe Burrow yesterday when he went down. He felt the collective gasp from Bengals Nation, from the sideline, from the fans, from those standing on the bridge, from those driving by. And everybody was concerned. Charlie Goldsmith stood there calmly and reported the news, and he joins us now. Hello, Charlie. How are you? Happy Friday. Happy Friday, Austin. What was your immediate reaction to Joe Burrow going down towards the end of Bengals practice yesterday? I kind of was thinking back about the practice as a whole. Now, this will be a a smaller, a a strange sample size because Joe Burrow's never really been at full strength in training camp, but Joe Burrow was showing and using more mobility yesterday than any practice I'd ever seen from Joe Burrow in his entire career with the Bengals. Hmm. There were four or five different plays where he was running around in the pocket and stepping up. He made this incredible throw on a broken play to Tyler Boyd over the middle. He was doing this all day, almost to the point where it seemed like Burrow was trying to make a point of working on those kind of freelance plays. And then he comes up hopping on one of them. And now we have one of the uh, stories, you know, of the season, maybe even because the Bengals were counting on his mobility. It's interesting you point that out. I did hear you ask Zach after practice if, if that was part of the plan because, and I guess that's because you had seen him moving around so much. And he was moving around great. Like I know, So we all know the same stuff about the calf brace that he was wearing that he wasn't wearing previously. But Burrow was moving around great. He was making athletic, acrobatic throws on the run. Um, the Bengals' offense looked like the kind of offense, exactly what you would expect for a group that brings basically everyone back, has all the, you know, the receivers back, has the continuity with the coaching staff and the coordinator and the quarterback coach in Burrow. It, the offense has looked unbelievable for the first two two days of camp. That gives me an idea that maybe you'll be able to get back quickly. Um, you know, when Burrow's back in the mix because they've done it before over the years and even in these two practices. But again, the Bengals are counting on Joe Burrow's mobility and athleticism with some scheme changes they're working on, and now they're going to have to probably make some tweaks. From those who I had heard that that cover the team and talk to it. The, the general feeling on, around training camp after the first practice was it felt different than previous years for whatever reason. Maybe they just they seemed more you know on top of things offensively, like you mentioned. Maybe there was just more general excitement. Did you get the same feeling that after day one of practice, going into day two, up until the injury, things felt different than a typical first couple days of training camp? Well, one of Zach Taylor's favorite things to joke about, something he finds hilarious is the way we covered camp in 2021. He likes to say, you said we we couldn't get a first down in 2021 during training camp, but it was true. They couldn't. And then in 2022, Burrow doesn't jump in until halfway through. And Brandon Allen wasn't getting many first downs during the first couple weeks of training camp. So in the way that it felt different, just like I wasn't used to seeing plays like this right from the start. They were also doing more 7-on-7 and more 11-on-11 than I expected. But just the way that everything was humming and firing all cylinders, dynamic, explosive. uh, I I wrote, like, they were were playing the hits. 
Like mm-hmm. slant to T, back shoulder to Jamar, go ball, Boyd wins matchup, freelances over the middle. Like it was straight out of a week seven game plan mm-hmm. almost. They look great. So so that part definitely felt different, you know, of course, until it until it all changed. Uh, do you have any indication from anybody that you've spoken with about what the next steps might be for Joe Burrow? And do you expect, I know that you're in LA covering the Reds, but do you expect Zach Taylor to talk to the media after practice today and give an update? I don't know. Probably it'll depend on if Zach has an update. As for next steps, like this is actually a pretty common baseball injury. Mm-hmm. And there is a, I've seen like with Max Schrock, with Aristide Aquino, with Mike Moustakis a very regimented, you know, adding drills, adding agility, adding all sorts of kind of steps and boxes to check. And then all those guys, you know, were running like normal when they were back on the field. The timelines were different. The severity of the calf strains can be different. Mm -hmm. And I guess we'll see how Burrow responds. Uh, You did write, talking to Charlie Goldsmith, Cincinnati.com, covers the Reds and the Bengals. You did – write about how a couple of guys in the defensive secondary have caught the eye, not only of Jamar Chase, but also of yourself being Cam Taylor Britt and DJ Turner, the rookie out of Michigan, uh, which I know that excites you considering you've got a bunch of Michigan gear you like to wear. What would you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what have you seen from those two uh, young players in the Bengals secondary? Yeah, Jamar's an honest guy, and he called Cam one of the best young corners he's seen in the league. Cam has always wow. had, like, I like to say Cam has, Cam has some of the best young cornerbacks, but still a, a high praise. Yeah. Um, Cam has, I always say, some of the best intangibles I've ever seen. Like his effort, his motor, his tackling, his just pure toughness. And he's combining a real savvy and physicality and technique at the line of scrimmage. Jamar's beaten him some, but Cam's won those press man matchups as well. They've been yeah. going back and forth, a lot of close, tight coverage. And Cam is really holding his own against the top five receiver in the league. DJ Turner, so like uh, I'm very high on Cam Turner. I think he'll continue to have a, a breakout season in 2023. Uh, but in 2022, Cam Taylor Britt got bumped all the way to, to the bottom of the depth chart behind Allen George and Camp. Mm. That's you know that's how much he was struggling at the time. DJ Turner, on the other hand, you know if you're comparing second round cornerbacks, he's taken off. You know I could even see him getting some first team reps over Sidney Jones wow. until Chidobe Awuje comes back. He has this obviously his speed stands out but his strength and the way he uses his technique to force guys to the outside the way he talks about recognizing routes by formations like he's he's getting it and it's all happening very quickly for him Uh, one of the other positions that we've talked about a lot has been running back and coming into training camp it felt like we talked about chase brown a lot which is you know quite a lot for a guy who was drafted where he was drafted feels like i haven't heard much about him uh, so far, I know it's been two days of camp. What have you seen in the backup running back battle between Travion Williams, Chase Brown, maybe even Chris Evans? It's the toughest thing to gauge because, as we all know, pass protection is really going to be line number one from these guys. I have seen Travion Williams getting the most reps, you know, compared to uh, Chase Brown. Williams mm-hmm. is the more polished pass catcher, I would say. We've seen that in games and also in pass protection. Everyone likes to point to the way Williams filled in against Tennessee and picked up some big blitzes against a really dynamic defense at the time with a linebacker and David Long, who gave a lot of teams a lot of headaches with his versatility. So I would say Williams probably has the edge right now, but really more than any other position group, I think backup running back and third down back 
will be shaped by the preseason games. Um, let's uh, switch gears and talk about the Cincinnati Reds. You are in Los Angeles covering the Reds as they get set for this weekend set against the Dodgers. Uh, we saw a little bit of moves yesterday. The New York Mets trading David Robertson to the Miami Marlins. The Milwaukee Brewers acquiring Carlos Santana. Now there's a rumor out there about perhaps uh, Justin Verlander perhaps being a target of the Cincinnati Reds. What do you make of the moves we saw yesterday, and do you think that the Reds are going to make a move by Tuesday's deadline? Well, with Verlander, he is a no-trade clause in multiple years of team control, uh, so that would be an an uncharacteristic move from, you know, one of the superstars in the game. Frankly, what, you know, since Griffey, it's been since mm-hmm. a player like that basically decided to come to Cincinnati and the Reds from a payroll perspective, that would probably be some tough math. Do I expect the Reds to make a move? Kind of a gut feeling is it'll feel very similar to the 2021 trade deadline for the Reds in that, you know, Two years later, we're not talking about Michael Givens and Luis Sessa and, <laughs> you know, as a reliever yeah. and Justin Wilson as these, these icons in Reds history. But they were solid guys. They yeah. filled a big weakness for the team. They came in, did exactly what they were supposed to do. The bullpen was awful. The bullpen became stable. And the Reds were in it. And, frankly, the bullpen wasn't the reason they didn't make the playoffs last year. Yeah. Um, you know, they had a bunch of other reasons for that as they kind of fell off a cliff in December in uh, September, I expect the Reds to kind of make that level of move okay. heading into this week. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds about right. I mean, that feels like that could just be enough to push them over, uh, especially if they start getting guys back. What is the latest in terms of those guys coming back involving Green, Lodolo, Antone, maybe even Vladimir Gutierrez? What do we know about when and if those guys are going to be coming coming back to the Reds? Um, so the relievers are making progress. Um, Antone pitched a, a scoreless inning in his first rehab game in the Arizona Complex League. He'll need a lot of uh, appearances, but the, the Reds are anticipating him being a factor in their bullpen this season. Hmm. Gutierrez, he's going to be a guy who comes back as a reliever, probably starting out as one innings, but I could see them maybe trying to stretch him out a little bit more. He doesn't have as clear of a path to a role immediately because really he he only pitched in the bullpen for a week last year before he got hurt. So it's not like he has that same experience and track record. And Green and Lodolo, you know, Green is, you know, going to level four in his core stabilization program. There are certain exercises and certain boxes he has to check with his core uh, because those are signs that the hip, that there's enough going on, you know, with his side and his core to prevent the hip soreness from coming up again. Uh, Lodolo, less concrete news. Um, hoping to learn more soon. It's basically just kind of status quo. He's he's throwing, and September is kind of the timeline I keep hearing. What exactly does that mean? Like with the core stabilization, are, are the Reds mm-hmm. suggesting that because of, I guess, weakness in the core that leads to strain on the hip or fundamentally, it, it, how is that connected to the hip with Hunter Green from your understanding? Yeah, so when Hunter got, you know, so Hunter, you know, the hip stiffness originally came up in late May, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a start, a, a start skip. Pitched through it, he pitched great, but as he recovered, the, the soreness, the stiffness was still there. They had kind of a, a heart-to-heart meeting, meeting of the minds, um, and said, what is the way to fix the root cause of this issue so it never happens again? Obviously, Green's, you know, the one with contract extension, they're very much invested in sure 
and protecting Green, just like every pitcher. But they want to make sure because he is such a special talent, they're putting him in every position to be successful. So, yes, they came up with a four-step core stabilization program with different, you know, bars. Can you do, and I believe some of it is, can you do this for so many minutes? Then you go to level two. Then can you do, you know, this exercise for so many minutes? Then you keep moving up, Hmm. and there's a throwing kind of program that goes along with that. It's all uh, very complicated and very scientific, but they are confident that it will help his his hip. That's interesting. Can't say that I've ever uh, heard of something like that, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there that know more than me. That's uh, something to keep an eye out on. Uh, Reds obviously 3-10 and against the Brewers this year. One and five against the Atlanta Braves. Overall, three games under five hundred against teams that are above five hundred. Are the Reds good? <laughs> I think the lineup's really good. I think the Brewers just had a I think the Brewers just had a really good hyper specific plan for individual hitters on the Reds, plus the best like counter moves almost to stop the Reds running game with different things they were doing. Do you think now we'll see how We'll see how much that gets replicated across the league, but I am very confident in the lineup as a whole. So that that kind of leads to my next question. Do you think as presently constructed, and assuming the guys that we just talked about get here eventually, uh, do you think as presently constructed they can win the National League Central? I think they need one more little bump specifically – you know, in the pitching staff, really the bullpen, mm-hmm. I, they need a starter. I'd be really interested in a starter who you could move to the bullpen late in the season, you know, in their move in their mind optimistically when all these guys come back. Like, what if you got Michael Lorenzen and he covers these innings in the short term and then he becomes your setup guy for Alexis Diaz, you know, if Green and Lodolo are back later in the season, that sounds pretty good to me. Then you maybe add one reliever as well. Uh, you start to have some more reliability, some more experience, frankly, some more guys who have pitched entire major league seasons um, because it is a bunch of guys who have bounced around in the Reds' bullpen as currently constructed. I think they need one more push, but uh, again, unless the lineup gets hot, and when the lineup is hot, like uh, as hot as it was during the winning streak, you know they were getting awful pitching then, and they yeah. won 12 straight. So. They can be that good, but I do think they need a little help. Do you think anything like like struggling against the Brewers the way that they have, do you think that can linger mentally for a young team, or do you think that they're so you know, unbothered? I mean, you're around these guys a lot more than, than we are. I mean, do you think they're kind of so unbothered that they leave it in the past and they just move on, or do you think something like getting beat the way that they have you know lost to the Brewers as much as they did, do you think that can linger mentally? I think it really bothered them, losing as much to the Brewers as they did. Now it's now it's over, though. I think not having to play the Brewers anymore almost helps with that Brewers problem that they had. You know, you got to beat the teams in front of you. It's as simple as that. And they're a team that, you know, can look around and cite the stats you mentioned and said against everyone else, they're doing pretty good. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're probably not going to see Milwaukee in the postseason because, you know, they, they probably won't, won't end up as, you know, one of the number one wild card seeds on either end. So, you know, give them a better shot next year, but you have much bigger goals ahead of you than uh, beating the Brewers. Reds in L.A. to take on the Dodgers coming up for a three-game set this weekend. Then they go to Chicago to take on the Cubs, who are hotter than the surface of the sun right now. Uh, kind of give listeners a preview of what you expect uh, with these next two series, primarily starting with Los Angeles, and they've got a couple of rookies going against the Reds. Is that correct? They do. It's a Los Angeles team that has more in common with the Reds than you would think in the fact hmm. that I'm um, having to overcome injuries with the starting rotation 
The difference is, you know, the the offensive stars they're relying on aren't 23 and 24. They're Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, two of the best players in the game. Um, you know, the last time these two two teams played some of the most entertaining games I've seen with offenses just trading punch after punch. And, you know, especially with the Reds getting some inexperienced guys in the Dodgers rotation. And then, you know, the four and five Reds uh, starters for the Reds starting the first two games of this series. It'll be a good opportunity for, for both offenses, but the Reds offense especially, to uh, put all that Brewers stuff behind him. Talking to Charlie Goldsmith, Cincinnati.com, covers the Reds and the Bengals. Charlie, you're in L.A. The game doesn't start for another eight hours. What are you going to do? Are you going to go on one of those like celebrity house tours where you're riding the bus around looking at people's homes? Or are you going to go to the Hollywood like Walk of Fame where the stars are? Like, What's your plans for the next several hours when you got some time to kill in L.A.? See, here's the thing. Like most cities I go to, I can say like, all right, I know to do this, this, and this. But like, I know I'm in downtown LA right now, but I don't quite really know where that is. And I have no idea what's around me. And I know that if I want to do something, it's probably an hour away from where I'm at right now. So I'll, I'll keep it local to this, okay. this area I'm at. Hopefully I find some good lunch and uh, head over to the ballpark. Now, we uh, we we consistently promote your Twitter page here, Charlie G underscore underscore. You're one of the best mm-hmm. follows on there. Do you think that perhaps, and, and you make videos that are very informative, do you think perhaps you could get to the stadium maybe a little earlier than normal, get a Dodger dog, and do a video review of a Dodger dog for us? I'd like to see that. This would be great content. It would be. This is a great idea. Austin. Would it be? Would you rather it be Dodger dogs or grilled cheese? Because I heard Indianapolis was giving you some some tough times with grilled cheese the other day. So it's up to you. Either one. We we just want to see it. Well, that's the beauty. You know, sometimes you're in a hot dog mood. Sometimes you're in a grilled cheese mood. You can't go wrong with either. <laughs> Charlie, you're the best. Thanks for uh, making some time for us. Enjoy Los Angeles, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Austin. That is Charlie Goldsmith. And, uh, you know, he just he's always prepared. Always prepared is Charlie G. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll get to some talkbacks. We'll get to quick hits and locks of the night. Shortened, truncated version of Cincy 360 today with FC Cincinnati and Chivas finishing their League's Cup match coming up in just a little bit. This is Cincy 360 brought to you by Cincy Shirts on the home of the Bengals, Cincinnati's ESPN 1530.